as we open your word, um, we ask that you would give us um, understanding, um, not for not for our own sake in the sense of not for our own fame, um, not to make us wise in our own eyes, Lord, but would you give us understanding for your fame? Would you give us understanding um, to accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives? Um, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, I'm really, really glad to be with you this morning. And um, if you don't, if you don't know me very well, uh, then maybe, maybe there's some things about my, my childhood you don't know. One of the things about my childhood you might not know uh, is growing up, there was really uh, only one sport I cared about, and it was basketball. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I tried baseball. Well, let's not say baseball. Let's say t-ball. Uh, and I was out there, and they put me in the outfield because that's where you put the kids that just well, they suck. And so so anyway, so I was out in the outfield, and um, I got overheated, and I passed out. And I woke up in an air-conditioned car, and it was at that moment the Lord spoke clearly and said, don't go outside much. And so uh, I said, no sports outside. Soccer's outside? No, thank you. And so I said, what is an inside sport? Basketball? I'm down. And so it was a huge part of my life. And, and it was a big deal. Like when I was a, a teenager, not only did I only, like only things I ever watched were about basketball. I, I had magazine subscriptions to basketball. I had pictures of basketball players around my, my room, right? And, and so, and, and outside, I would just, I'd wear the, the, um, the basketball balls down on our, our gravel uh, weird little concrete driveway and, and, and I just I practiced all the time but here's the thing I wasn't very good and when I say I wasn't very good I'm not implying that I'm very good now because I'm not I'm just not good but uh, I, I, I realized that you know a jump shot isn't the most difficult thing in the world it's not the most difficult concept it's not like you have to stand on your head or spin in a circle in a certain way or whatever no it's it's, it's fairly simple right you want to face the goal, okay, and you want to have your, your, your feet uh, uh, shoulder width apart, right, you want to have them apart a little bit, and, and, and this hand does basically everything, this hand is there to steady the ball, this hand does basically everything, and in fact, it's, it's such a simple concept that like you literally at the end of your shot should be pointing at the goal with your arm, it's not, it's not the most difficult thing in the world, but as I, as I played more, my shot didn't get better. It just didn't get better, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? It's so simple. This is so fundamental to basketball, and, and I would watch these players, and I would go, okay, they're doing it. This is easy. It's something I can do, and, 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 and it just wasn't getting better, and I went to a friend's house one day, and, and I remember it vividly. We were out in the driveway shooting basketball, and his dad happened to come out and shoot basketball with us. Now, I think the best way to describe the way that this man acted and looked is um, Bing Crosby, all right? Like, he just, uh, uh, hello, right? Like, he just kind of wandered around, and he came out there, and he took the basketball, and he was draining everything. And I'm going, what in the world? How is Bing Crosby beating me, right? Like, this is ridiculous. He's wearing penny loafers. What in the world's going on? Well, Bing Crosby, apparently, this guy, he was, uh, he was an AAU coach, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And so he looked at me, and he said, um, so your shots aren't that consistent, are they? And I was like, no, they're not. What's going on? And, and he said, spread your feet apart. I was putting my feet together. I had my feet together like this. And he said, spread those apart. And then he said, as you're shooting, I noticed that, that on your left hand, instead of just steadying the ball, you're pushing with your left thumb. So my shots, I was literally finishing like this because I was pushing with this hand. And so my shots were incredibly inconsistent. My shots were just, just off the wall crazy. And, and so he told me how to shoot. And I said, all right, Bing Crosby. 
me. I'm going to try this, right? And I tried it, and I started draining it. And I was like, what is going on? I realized, he, here's what he said to me. He says, you've developed some bad habits. That's what he said. He says, you've worked really hard, but you've developed some bad habits. And these really simple little bad habits, what they did was they made something so fundamental and so so important and, and, and really, um, in, in some senses, even a simple thing and made it incredibly difficult and unnecessarily difficult. We all have bad habits, all right? Confession time. Are you ready? Here we go. This is a safe place sometimes. Here we go. Uh, how many of you have developed bad habits in driving? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm glad we got that confession out there. Some of you weren't truthful. Um, in fact... I saw some, some women without their hands up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, all right? Just kidding. I have a friend of mine who developed an incredibly bad habit. Uh, he, I don't know if he knows his car has um, a signal on it, right? And so he just, like, driving with him, uh, man, if you weren't close to the Lord, you got real close, right? Because he was just, just weaving in and out of traffic, and, and that was his bad habit. Some of you had bad habits at home. How many of you developed bad habits at home, right? Maybe just not the easiest to live with. Um, I know that I probably frustrate the mess out of my wife. Um, when I get in the shower, before I get in the shower, and, and I take my, my clothes off there, don't make, you don't get a mental picture, it won't be good for you. But anyway, like, as I take my clothes off here, would you like to know something? A hamper is like right there, like right there. And I take the clothes off, and it's like they weigh a 1,000 pounds. And I'm just like, I would put them, there's just, oh, all right, shower, right? And they just stay there. And I just, for some reason, there's like a block in my brain. Like, you, you've got to put those, just pick them up and just put them in the hamper. And no, the floor's good, right? And then we have a cat, and every time I do that, the cat is like, new place to pee. And so, like, I've developed bad habits. And here's the reality. Whatever your bad habit is, whatever it is, whatever aspect of your life, it makes fundamental things unnecessarily difficult, right? Isn't that true? It makes fundamental things unnecessarily difficult. Like, for example, the basketball shot. Not necessarily a difficult thing, but I was making it difficult with these bad habits. My friend weaving in and out of traffic, he probably wouldn't get so many angry honks or he probably wouldn't get so many um, one-finger salutes if he would use his signal. Or, or even me, uh, I probably wouldn't want to kill my cat so much if I would just put my clothes where they're supposed to go, right? I said so much because I still kind of want to kill my cat. Anyway, moving on. Today and next week, I want, to, I want to explore something very personal to me, and I, I want to conf- make some confessions to you. I want to explore some of my own bad habits, and not bad habits as a, as a man, as a husband, as a, as a father, anything like that. I want to confess my bad habits in my prayer life, and I want to talk about that with you guys. And, and here's why, just a few reasons why. Number one, prayer is fundamentally important to your life as a Christ follower. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always. And here's verse 17. You want to you memorize scripture today? Here, here we go. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. You ready? Pray continually. Got it? Excellent. All right, good. You just memorize a Bible verse. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? It's fundamentally important. It's not, it's not something we tag on to other things. It's not something that we can take or leave. It's fundamentally important as a follower of Jesus. Matthew Henry said, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. And John Bunyan said, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. 
And so prayer is incredibly important. And Jesus was our perfect example of this. The Gospels tell us that Jesus prayed at every major event in his life. His baptism, the choice of apostles, his transfiguration before the cross uh, and on the cross. And the Bible tells us he continues to pray for us. Hebrews chapter 7 says he always lives to make intercession for them. And he sets that example for us to follow. He continually went away to quiet places. What? To pray. It's incredibly important. And so I want to talk about my bad habits because, well, prayer is incredibly important. We need to talk about it. The second thing I want to talk about is, and the reason I want to talk about it is, we all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. As I confess my bad habits to you, I'm sure that that many of you will identify. I'm sure everyone in this room will at least identify with one thing, uh, uh, one of my bad habits here. And none of us are perfect. If I were to to ask if I could somehow find out, I don't know how I'd do this, but if I were to somehow find out who's really followed the Jesus, uh, the Jesus, who's really followed Jesus the longest in this room, and were to ask them, is there, in your prayer life, are you completely satisfied, or would you, would you change anything, would you want it to be better, their answer, of course, would be, I want it to be better, because we're not perfect, right? That's not a perfect part of our life, because there's not a perfect part of our life, and so we all struggle, so I, I want to talk about my struggles, because I think I'll hit on some of yours, I talk about mine. And and lastly, the reason I want to talk about it is because the scripture we're looking at today and the scripture we're going to look at next week have confronted my bad habits and brought them to to light. And and the Lord's helping me through the scripture. The scripture we're going to look at today has been helping me put those things to death in my life. And and, and I think he, he can and will do the same things for you. So our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seats there. You can take that. That's our gift to you. Ephesians chapter 3. You ready? All right. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Can we pray again? It seems appropriate when talking about prayer. Lord Jesus, as we open your word um, here in, in Ephesians, there's so much hope here. There's so much help here. And Lord, I, I know that my brothers and sisters, whether they know it or not, um, I know, Lord, that they develop some bad habits when it comes to prayer. And, and, and Lord, some of them have, have just kept their distance from from really having a prayer life that you desire for them to have, for their joy and for your fame. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would use your word um, to knock down some of those bad habits, to shine some light on it. Some people probably, just like me, um, haven't seen it yet. They haven't seen those bad habits yet. They don't, they don't know um, those things that are hurting them. Um, I pray, Lord, you'd, you would show those to us now. And, Lord, I pray also that you would... Um, You'd help us attack those things. Give us, give us some wisdom. Give us some guidance on how to deal with those bad habits in our lives. Um, and so, Lord, just accomplish what you want to accomplish today. Um, it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, the first of four bad habits I want to confess today. Number one, I, I pray no faith prayers. I pray no faith prayers. Now, how many, how many of you have heard the phrase prayer works, right? 
You've heard that phrase a lot. I, I got on um, Twitter last night. I just wanted to see how much prayer work showed up. So I just searched prayer works. And, and on Twitter, there were thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of posts about prayer works. And it, it's kind of a cliche. You know, I, I, you hear athletes say it after a big win. You know, I, well, you know, I, I prayed. I was praying that God would give us this win and, and prayer works. Well, what about the Christian on the other team? Man, I pray that God would give us the win, and apparently prayer doesn't work, right? And so it, it's kind of become a, a cliche that prayer works. And not only has prayer works become a cliche, but, but, but prayer a lot of the times just becomes a thing we do, and it's just a part of our lives, right? I had a friend of mine visit here from, the, the, he, from, from up north, and he's not from the Bible Belt. It's his first time in the Bible Belt, and he, he wasn't a, a believer. And, and so I remember we stopped to, to eat a meal, and and we stopped and we prayed before the meal because that's what you do. And he was already taking his, uh, a bite. And he was like, oh, hang, hang on one sec, uh, right? Like he didn't know what was going on. But we pray before meal because we just, we just do, right? That's what we do. When I, I make a hospital visit, there have been times where people have, have, have reached out to, as I've approached the bed, reached out to grab my hand and already putting their head down. Like, okay, he's going to pray for us, right? Like, I don't know if that's the way of saying, like, please just leave my room. Just pray and leave my room. I don't know what it is. Is, but but they know like okay that's what he's here to do because that's what we do any family gathering we have um, my my grandmother always looks for me and she always says Grant's gonna pray and I keep trying to tell her I'm off the clock but it doesn't matter right because that's what we do we we pray and when we go to Sunday school we we, we have to pray before when we do a youth event we we have to pray I remember the the first time we went paintballing with some of the students. Uh, one of them made a joke, and before I think it was a joke. We before we went into the to to go play paintball, he's like, "Should we like pray or something?" You know what I mean? Like, because it's just it's what we do. And I'm not saying that that you shouldn't pray in those instances. You absolutely should pray in those instances. But what I am saying is that it's become such a, a regular part of our lives that that sometimes it can become empty and it can become routine. Let me ask you a question: When you pray, when you stop to pray. Are there regular phrases that just kind of fall out of your mouth? And, and what I mean is, like, without you even thinking, they just fall out of your mouth, you know? Like, I, like I can tell you, you know, uh, uh, this, this, was, this used to be my go-to, right? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. Before anything else went in my brain, before I had a thought, those words would come out of my mouth, you know? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and then plug in whatever it was, right? Or, or, or you, you hear this a lot. Like I hear some people say this really quick, and I'm like, did you hear the words you just said? Dear Graciously Heavenly Father, who, what now, right? Like who are you talking to? And, and it just comes up, falls out of my mouth. I know that happens to me because, so because it's routine, sometimes my prayers, they're, they're no faith prayers. And what I mean by that is they're general and they're small. That's what happens to a lot of my prayers. They become general and they become small. And here's what I mean by general. Joel Virgo, a, a, a pastor, wrote this. There's a, a scattergun approach to praying, which betrays a lack of any expectation. We talk, but we give the impression that God is probably not listening and definitely not very interested. And have you ever been there? I mean, I, I'm sure I pray things like this all, you know, all the time. Dear Heavenly Father, please, uh, please help Aunt Maggie out, right? Dear Heavenly Father, help me have a good day, right? And and that type of, of general prayer is what? It's more of just an exercise. It's more of just a, a routine that we go through. And, and Jesus warns us in Matthew 6, 7 about that routine. We, he warns us that it's empty and that it's, it's worthless. He says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus is saying, look, if you aren't really talking to me, 
and you're just talking, then I'm not listening. That's what he says. If, you, if you're just talking, if you're throwing up empty phrases, right? If, you're throw, if, if things are just falling out of your mouth without thought, right? If you're just talking to hear yourself talk, you're just going through the motions, I'm not, I'm not listening to that because it's not real. And so sometimes my prayers are like that. They're, they're just general prayers and, and they're just falling out of my mouth. And Jesus warns us, says those aren't real. And sometimes my prayers are small. And what I mean is I pray natural prayers. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes I pray things that don't require faith to pray. You know, I, I, I think this, this plays off the idea of praying general prayers, but but praying things like, you know, well, well help me have a good day or, or help the church get, get more financially stable or, or help me be a good dad. And those are pretty general prayers. And do they require much faith to pray, right? Do they require much faith to, to really ask of God? And a lot of times what I do is I throw up that small prayer. You know, can you just kind of, I don't know, like help me be good, right? And I throw up these small prayers and then I spend 90% of my time uh, uh, worrying about them, right? They're small, and, and they don't have a lot of faith. I'm not really expecting God to do much. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. And the scriptures reveal that our small general prayers that lack faith, they don't work. If you throw up these little prayers that, you know, that, that are just uh, um, anyone could do, that don't require faith to pray, then they're, they're not doing anything. Matthew 21, 22 says, Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Meaning that if you don't, if you just throw up these, these, general, these general prayers, you just throw up these small prayers, if you don't have faith, whatever you ask in prayer, you won't receive. And look at how God confronted no faith prayers in Ephesians 3. This is, this is how God confronted these in me in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So we have a transcendent God of power. And so it's like God says to me, are your prayers small? Well, why? Because he's able to do more than you can ask or think. Are your prayers general and faithless? Why? He's absolutely able to, to do all of these things and more. An example, I think, of someone who prayed these faith-filled prayers, these specific God-sized prayers, was Nehemiah. So to, to catch you up with what I'm about to say, what's going on in Nehemiah is the people of God, they, they've, they've been in exile. They've been allowed to, to return under these Persian rulers, return to Jerusalem, and, and they could return to the, the temple and, and rebuild the walls around the temple. And, 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 and this was a holy thing. And, and, and the, news, um, uh, uh, the news that, um, excuse me, Nehemiah was the cupbearer uh, to the king uh, that, that they were under uh, at this time who was saying you could go back to where you were. And, and, and this news got back to Nehemiah that, that the walls, this, this holy job that they could do, um, they were destroyed. There was just, Jerusalem was a mess. And so Nehemiah was absolutely crushed. And this was terrible, terrible news. And, and so Nehemiah decided that since he's the king's cupbearer, he's very close to the king, he's going to go talk to the king about this. But the reality is, that the Jerusalem could be in shambles because of the king. The king might not want it rebuilt, right? And so this would be very dangerous for him to go ask the king um, about this situation. It could be very dangerous for Nehemiah. This is a big deal. It's a big situation he's in. And, and here's, here's what he does. Here's his prayer, Nehemiah 1.11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. 
So look at his prayer. It was specific. He knew he was talking to the God who could do something about the situation. It wasn't some general prayer. Oh, God, help. Right? No, no. It was specific. Look at what he says. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Give me success. Grant me mercy. Right? It was specific. He knew he was talking to. And it was big. It was bigger than Nehemiah. He was going to face the king. He was completely at the mercy of the king. And he asked God to do something only God could do, right? He said, look, you're the only one who can grant me favor here. You're the only one who can influence the king to be merciful. So God, please grant me success. Please grant me mercy here. And so the Lord showed me, do you really believe I can do great things in your life? then ask me to do great things in your life. Do you really believe that I mean it when I say I'm able? Then you mean it when you talk to me. Instead of worrying, I have to pray a big prayer to my big God. Instead of despairing, I have to pray for God to bring my loved ones from death to life because he can do it. Instead of holding a grudge, I pray God would do something only he can do. And that means changing hearts, including my own. I learned I need to pray really Big prayers. The second bad habit is um, I, I don't pray. Now, here's what I mean by that. When, when I don't pray, it, it, it usually means, there, there are times where I don't pray, and it usually means I, I don't feel it. I don't feel like it, right? There's, there's no feeling there. And, and usually it's because I don't feel like it because I, I, I'm lacking a, a desire to. I'm lacking that, 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 that feeling. Like, isn't there some sort of just light fuzzy? Isn't there a want to that's supposed to just pop up in my brain, right? Like, aren't I supposed to feel that? And, and isn't that incredible? We've reduced so many spiritual things, really big, deep, deeper than anything we can see, spiritual things, into feelings. And that's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. I mean, should the same reason that I will never, ever work out really dictate whether or not I talk to God? You know what I mean? Because I'll never have that feeling, right? So should that same reasoning affect me talking to God? And so sometimes I, I don't feel it in the sense that I don't feel it. I don't, I don't feel like I, I should pray, right? And, and sometimes I don't feel it because I, I, there's a presence of unworthiness. I feel unworthy to talk to God. I fall into that same old shame spiral. And, and I think, who am I to come to God? But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Our feelings, positive, negative, or neutral, they don't influence truth. Feelings are fickle. Truth is not. Truth is not. And here's the truth. Look at verse 20. Are you ready? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Listen. According to the power at work within us. Regardless of how you feel. The same power of God that is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Is at work in you. That's truth. Whether you feel it or not. Whether you feel good, you feel bad, or you don't feel anything. The reality is that same power of God that Romans says brought Jesus out of the grave, that same power is at work in you. That's the truth. And so here's the reality. I don't feel the desire to pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the power of God to pray, it's there. It's in you. I don't feel worthy to approach God. I don't feel worthy of the power of God in my life. Yeah, but the power of God is there. But you just hear me, I have these negative feelings. Neg your negative feelings don't change the truth. The truth is the power of God is at work in you. Isn't that incredible? So regardless of how you feel or don't feel, you can pray. And pray with power. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
So regardless, if, if I feel shame, I can approach the throne of grace because Jesus who is in me the, and who's working in me, he's worthy. He's worthy. And so regardless of feeling powerless, I can pray boldly because Jesus, who has all the power, is at work in me. That's the truth. And so the, the, the bad habit of sometimes I don't pray for whatever feeling, positive, negative, or neutral, feeling's got nothing to do with the truth. And the truth is the same power of God that brought Jesus out of the grave is at work in you. You can pray. No matter how you feel, you can pray. My third bad habit is uh, I make prayer about me. When we come to God, what, what's most, uh, what, what usually starts our prayers? What are the things we usually start our prayers with? And, and sometimes it starts, I think most often it starts one of two ways. It either starts with confession, right? So I, I'm, uh, God, I'm so sorry I did this, right? Like you're coming to God because you got to get something off your chest. You, you feel bad about something. And, and secondly, I think another, another way that most of our prayers start is request. You know, right? So, hey, God, I need this. Hey, God, I need you to do this. Hey, God, you, you need to figure this out. What do these two things have in common? Me. Yeah, absolutely, me. They start with me. And here's the thing. When Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, his disciples said, can you please teach us to pray? And, and so he said, yeah, absolutely, I'll teach you to pray. And so when he taught us to pray, you know what he started with? He didn't start with asking. He didn't, he didn't even deal with sin first. That was way down on the list. You know what he started with? Recognizing who he was talking to. And worshiping him. That's where he started with this prayer. Look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is Jesus teaching us to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why did Jesus start the way he did? He started to remind us this way. He started to to, to wanted us to start praying like this because it starts us remembering that it's all about him. Hallowed be your name. There's no one like you. You are supreme. You are preeminent. It's all about him. And then he moves on to pray and, and, and he wants to remind us it's all about his will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. He didn't say, uh, give me my daily bread. Oh, yeah, you're a kingdom. No, no, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his glory. Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians 3, 21. It says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so there's a humility as we pray. So how do we keep this humility in prayer and, and break the habit of making prayer mainly about us? We follow Jesus' example. Look first. That's how you do it. Look first. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to God or are you talking to a genie, right? Look first. Why are you talking to him? For your glory or for his? Look first. 1 John 5, 14, listen to this. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us, why? Because what we ask is according to his will. It's about him. It's about what he wants. Can I, I'm making confessions. I'm, I'm so dumb. Can, can I just tell you how the Lord has, has absolutely revolutionized the way that I pray? Can I, can I tell you in this area? It's so simple. But, but here's how he's revolutionized it. 
If I stop before I'm about to pray and I pause for five seconds and do what Jesus did, I look at who I'm talking to. I remember who I'm talking to. If I just stop right there, it's completely changed the way that I pray. So many times I'm, I'm running to him uh, uh, for something that, that I want, that I need, and I stop and I remember, who am I talking to? I'm not talking to a genie. I'm not talking to some, some self-help guru. I'm talking to the God of the universe. And sometimes I'll, I'll remember that. And, and what I wanted to ask him, I don't want to ask him anymore. It's not important. It doesn't matter. It's small. And I'll ask him for something bigger. I'll ask him for, for himself, something more satisfying. And so the Lord has changed the way that I, I pray. I, the, the Lord has changed the way that I pray all about me by, by doing what Jesus did, following his example. I look first. Would you try that? The next time you pray, just stop and look first. Remember who you're talking to. It changes everything. Fourthly and lastly, uh, I pray last resort prayers. I pray last resort prayers. You might say, you know, I, I don't pray a lot, but... But think about it. Like, think about those difficult times. Think about when, when you've, you've had nowhere else to turn. I bet you prayed then, right? It's like people always say there's no atheists in foxholes. You know what I'm talking about? You pray then, right? But, you know, that's it's a little ridiculous. It's like saying, you know, I don't, I don't obey all traffic laws until uh, there's a cop right behind me. Anybody like that? You know what I mean? Speed limit signs are just decoration until you, uh, you notice the Ford behind you. You know what I'm talking about? But should prayer be so reactionary? Should, should prayer be reduced to almost nothing but, but our, our, our kind of our life alert button? You know what I'm talking about? Should that be the truth? Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To him who is able. He's able. He's able in all situations. Not just in calamity, but he's able to do more than you can imagine in every area of your life. He's able to do more than you can imagine in every area of your life. And I think this is what God showed me here. That to not pray always, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, that, that verse you memorized today. To not pray always is to willingly neglect the power of God in your life. That's serious. To not pray always, to, to, to section off areas of our lives and only pray when calamity hits. Or only pray reactionary rather, rather than being proactive and being a person in prayer. To only pray those prayers and not pray always is to willingly neglect the power of God in our life. He's given us a prayer, prayer as a way to connect with the power of God in our life. And to neglect it is to miss it. Joel Virgo, that pastor I, I quoted earlier, he said, There are certain battles we simply cannot win without prayer. The more I lead, the more frequent such battles seem. Jesus made this clear with the statement regarding the demon that would not submit to his disciples in Mark 9.29. Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is a striking text if you reflect on it. What had the disciples been trying with this demoniac? Of course they must have prayed. But that's not the point being made here by Jesus. It's one thing to hit a crisis and pray in reaction, which is what the disciples were doing, but it's quite another to live a life of prayer and have reserves of spiritual force, wisdom, and peace from which to draw when Satan is threatening. This is the lifestyle Jesus wanted his 12 to live. Isn't that incredible? So, so prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. When Nehemiah heard of the destruction of Jerusalem, do you know what his first response was? 
Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. If you read Nehemiah, and please do, read Ezra and read Nehemiah. It's all one big story. When you read Nehemiah, you'll learn something about Nehemiah. He's a doer. Nehemiah got stuff done, right? But, but here's what he does. He, he sees this huge, uh, amazing thing, this, this big deal, this, this big issue here. But instead of going out and trying to do it by his own power, what does he do? He stops and he seeks God's power for his life. Isn't that incredible? So our first response should be prayer, not our last resort. And prayer should be a constant priority. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Isn't that incredible? I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. Martin Luther was saying, to work 12 hours by my power is worthless. To work one hour by God's power is immensely valuable, right? And so it must be a priority. I love what D.A. Carson said. He says, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Cut something out, right? So if this is going to be a priority, then you have to prepare your life for this priority. Here's how I want to close this week. Um, I want you to flip your notes over. And you see 12 tips on personal prayer. Now listen, not everything on this list is going to be helpful to you. Not everything on this list, I, I, don't, I don't expect you to, to even remember all 12 of them. I don't expect you to, as you read it, to go, what did he say about that point? It doesn't matter. Here's the deal. My prayer is that there's something on that list that will connect with you. My prayer is there's something on that list that you'll walk out of here with and you can take action um, because of it, right? And so I just want to run through this. These are some, some things that, that I thought up, some things that as I talked to other brothers and, and sisters in the faith about prayer that they brought up. Um, and so I think these will be helpful. Number one, do it. Just, just do it. Good intentions change nothing. Dive right in. Start praying. You say, I, well, I'm not a big prayer. I, it's just not a big thing for me. It's not been a big part. Just do it. Just start praying. Corey Tinboom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. So, so the first tip I'd give you is, is just start doing it. The second tip I'd give you, say, well, how? Well, here you go. Second tip, keep it simple. Just, just talk to him. This isn't a, a Shakespearean exercise, all right? You're not being graded on, on eloquence. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. The, the third is, is keep it sweet. What I mean by that is, is don't, don't be flowery or fake, you know? Like, like don't think that you have to uh, say certain things. Thy Lord is thou, verily I want tulips, whatever. Like, you don't have to do that. Don't be flowery or fake. Be real with him. Be real with him. There's no reason not to be. You, you think that if you're, you're going to reveal some side of you um, that he's not going to love? He, he loves you completely. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he still faced the cross for you. Be real with him. Think you're going to shock him? Think you're going to surprise him? Right? Guys, when we listen to your prayers, oh, this is really, what in the world? What'd she say? Right? No. Be real. Schedule regular prayer times. Keep it as an appointment. You should pray throughout the day, absolutely. But you should have a time set aside for God. For some of you, you're real calendar-driven. How many of my calendar-driven people in here, right? You're timing me, right? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe there's an 8.30 a.m. appointment that you keep with the Lord. Maybe there's a, a 9 o'clock appointment that you will never cancel. You know what I'm talking about? Make an appointment. Keep a prayer list. I'd be lost without a prayer list. Oh, my gosh. My brain barely works as it is. And then to go before the Lord and, and say, okay, God, um, so I'm ready to 
Um, I think uh, I think we're out of milk. I don't know, God. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Right. So keep a prayer list. Uh, find your isolation. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Find some place to be isolated, to, to remove distractions. Maybe, like, for some of you, it's your car, you know. I, I know in my house, it, it's, it's my shower. It really is. I know people don't come in there and bother me because that'd be weird. But anyway, like, maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's late at night. Find your isolation. Seven, be ready to write. Be ready to write. What I mean is that as you spend time in prayer, time set aside with the Lord, he'll speak. He'll speak very clearly, give you deep understanding. Eight, learn what distracts you and outplay it. I know for me, my brain, my brain distracts me. And so I write the whole time I pray in this time. I don't mean I write full sentences. I just jot down words to keep me going, to keep me focused, right? So if it's obligations, if I, I have a to-do list at close, close at hand when I pray, because if an obligation gets in my head and distracts me, I write it down and move on. Um, so whatever it is, learn what distracts you and outplay it. Nine, be accountable. Give someone permission to speak into your life. Ask you about um, your prayer life. Ten, use triggers. When, when, I, when I enter the shower, I know I'm alone, I need to pray. When I get in my car, it's a trigger. I I, before I turn on the music, I need to pray. When I, when I enter my kid's bedroom at night, I need to pray for them. When you sit at your desk, pray first thing. Use triggers. Eleven, go to prayer meetings. You'll be challenged to pray way more differently than you would challenge yourself on your own. Go to prayer meetings. Number 12, be around people that pray and pray with them. You'll learn a lot from praying people. Um, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, as we've heard your word, as we've heard what you had to say to us um, about prayer, I pray, Lord, that my bad habits... Um, that, that, Lord, you, you would continually um, whittle them down. You continually chip them away. And I pray, Lord, that if people in here have identified with my bad habits, um, that, Lord, it, it wouldn't drive them to shame. It wouldn't drive them to discouragement or being intimidated. But, Lord, they know the truth that you're working in them. And you're going to work those things out. That even as we pray, you're working for us. As Romans 8 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We don't, we don't know what we ought to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So Lord, may we rely on you to work through us in our prayer life. May we um, leave here with action to take, um, to have a prayer life that honors you and brings us joy. We thank you again. Lord, remove our prayerlessness and replace it with a fervor um, for prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.